Welcome to the Balance Code Podcast, a place where you have permission to step outside the hamster wheel of day-to-day life and learn tools to create more balance. My name is Katie Russler. I'm a licensed therapist and burnout and hidden grief specialist. I support ambitious, goal-driven people who are ready to get off the one-way train to burnout and start to enjoy life to the fullest. Oh, and by the way, I'm an American living in Germany who's still learning the language, mom of three and an entrepreneur. Living my balance code is what keeps me able to work in incredible ways without burning out. Welcome back to the podcast. Today I have Cadence Robertson, and we're going to be talking about how beliefs create perfectionism. Now, some of you are listening are like, oh, perfectionism, I'm really familiar with that. And some of you are like, no, I don't have those tendencies. Well, just wait. I feel like Cadence and I are going to have an amazing conversation that's going to help you see that you probably have some tendencies if you're listening to this episode. So Cadence, welcome to the podcast. Can you share with us a little bit about yourself, where you are, and who you serve? Awesome. Nice. Thank you for having me on, Katie. It's great to meet you. And so I'm Cadence. I am the coach for Find Your Cadence Coaching, and I help people who are perfectionists with life and confidence. So people don't often realize that perfectionism can get in the way of your confidence because you have this kind of idealized version of everything that you should be and accomplish. And so we kind of break that down and are able to help each person find the confidence within them that is already exists as the person that they are in the body that they are in the things that they're already wearing. So I'm in actually Hamilton, Ontario. If anybody is Canadian, then hey, how you doing? There are some <laughs> listeners for sure. Yep. Excellent. Awesome. So Okay, let's get to the beginning, you know, phases of basically perfectionism. How do you see it shows up in how people act, how people think, and and really how they're interacting with others? Well, I find that perfectionism prevents people from doing a lot of things. That's what I would say is the number one marker. So also, I apologize everybody. I'm still getting over illness. So (laughs) I might sound a little bit nasally. So that might look like not going on the dates that you want to go on or not applying for the big projects that you think you're actually probably capable of, but you don't want to risk like messing up. So it stems from a lot of fear. And this can, this can originate in a lot of different ways, whether it's just because you've been socialized as a woman or the way that your educators have treated you, or the way that your parents have treated you, or just the way that your family system works. Not to blame any one person necessarily in your life or anything like that, but just like different situations in your childhood or adolescence can influence the way that you grow up. And that's fine. That's just the way it is. But that doesn't mean that you're necessarily stuck like that. So it's a lot of fear that's kind of pointed in different directions. Like I'm afraid This person is going to judge me. I'm afraid I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm afraid I'm going to mess up. I'm afraid I'm going to get rejected. And so it prevents people from doing things that would probably make them a lot happier. Yeah. Embarrassment. I'm so glad you brought that up. That tends to be a word I work with all my clients. I'm like, what's your relationship with embarrassment? Because what's behind that is usually shame, right? Like embarrassment is like, I waved at a person and realized that's not really the person I thought it was. But shame is like, oh my God, if they ever figure this out about me, I like, I have to move. I can never go back to that place again. And ultimately for for perfectionists, 
it plays more, it feels like embarrassment, but at the core, it feels like shame. So how do you help your clients deal with that relationship with embarrassment or shame or however they've identified it? That's a really good question. I think that exposing it at first is what kind of makes people realize that that's what's even there. Because I think shame loves to hide yeah. in other in other feelings like embarrassment or like in, I have to do this perfectly. I have to do this project perfectly. And so it has to look exactly like this and it has to be done exactly at this time. Otherwise, I'll spiral. And so it's like hiding over there in that project, for example. And so I find that solving a lot of these problems, oh, and I say solving, but for the perfectionists listening, that doesn't mean it's solved forever and that it's perfectly never going to come back. I find that a lot of the times when we talk about like fixing perfectionism, like, girl, I am a perfectionist. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm helping you as a perfectionist. That doesn't mean I'm never a perfectionist anymore. You have to be okay with the imperfectness of of handling things one at a time and that you're not going to handle every single situation perfectly, imperfectly. But anyways, that's an aside. So it's a case-by-case situation where a client will bring their situation to the call, for example, and we kind of like gently massage it. I was talking to somebody yesterday about hard exteriors. And I realized in that conversation, you can't chip away at a hard exterior of a person. You have to like soak it in a nice warm bath and then like massage it. right? Yes. And then you might get to the the meat of the person or the meat of the problem, right? You, if you chip away at it, it just doesn't feel good. And then they just feel exposed and broken. So yeah, <laughs> that's so true. That's actually really, really true. Or if you, if you try to chip away, you might hurt yourself in the process of chipping away at there. But you're right. You could soften it. Let's go slowly. I like that analogy. Some of you are like, that's my partner. That's my best friend. Or that's you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, no, I would never. You're like, no, trust me. When you're like loved and held in a safe place and then, you know, slowly let things out. We talk about maybe an easier situation first and then a more complicated situation. Like an easier situation can be handled where you can expose the perfectionist thoughts that are pretending to be helpful. And then yeah. when you see them, you're like, oh, okay. Every time I procrastinate, it's because I'm telling myself I'm not good enough. Mm. And so when we expose that thought in the call and you notice it, you're like, oh, that's what's happening. Then you go out into the world and you see yourself procrastinating. You're like, hmm, am I telling myself that I'm not good enough? And then we can start replacing those thoughts with other things that you believe, but that just are a little bit more helpful. Like instead of maybe I'm not good enough, it'll turn to I'm still learning how to do this or something a little bit more yeah. compassionate. Yeah, this is a great segue. That, like, let's go a little bit deeper into what are the belief systems that create perfectionism. So the first is I'm not good enough. And that can go mm-hmm. into the world of failure or rejection, right? Like I'll be alone. Like if I'm not good enough, I won't get the love I need. Or if I'm not good enough, I'm not you know worthy and allowed to be here. Thing. But what are some of the what's the craziest beliefs you've heard? And this is no no uh, negative to any client you've ever had or any client I've ever had. We all have them. Like let's be honest. Like I can share some of my own crazy beliefs. But like, what are some of the crazy beliefs you've had or clients have had that you're like you both have been like, whoa, that's pretty 
deep-seated. We're going to work on that. I think it ends up being more the spiral that's surprising that the person realizes it starts as my ideas are stupid, but then it's the spiraling thoughts that come after. It's like, my ideas are stupid. That means my boss is going to hate this. That means they're actually going to fire me and I'm going to lose my job and I'm going to lose my house and I'm going to live on the streets and I'm going to die alone. And it's just like all the way. And then they, they don't realize that they're making, their brain is automatically making the jump from my ideas are stupid to I'm going to die alone, like yeah. in a matter of a millisecond. And that's why no wonder they don't want to do the thing because they think if they do the thing, they're going to die alone. That's reasonable. That's scary. Yep. yep. Mine is always, and I've done a lot of work around this, like, what will they think of me? What will they think of me? And then I, when I take it back and I look at like my hidden grief timeline, I see times where I was bullied. I see times where like girls in school would make up, you know, uh, secrets about like spread secrets about me that were, you know, weren't true, make up stories and things. And I was always like the really sweet one who was like, I don't know what's happening. Why is this happening to me? Right. So I had to realize that all of those things, plus being the gold star child is what I like to call it. If you were the one who like did well in school and your parents like your job or like, I can't believe you did that one small slip up, but maybe your sibling could like sneak out of the house and not get in huge trouble. Sorry. But then that's one of those scenarios where you play it out, play it out, play it out. And then the bullying I experienced was like, now I'm just afraid of what people will think of me. And I, even mm-hmm. if I like put a, an email out there and I was like, oh God, I have a mistake. Oh no, what are they going to think of me? I, I, I typed it wrong and it's like, uh, they're going to think I'm human. <laughs> like, it's okay. Yeah. Right? You ship those beliefs, but it does spiral. You're right. There's this thing and it usually kicks up memories. And then all of a sudden you're like, they're not going to like me. I'm going to get rejected again. I'm going to get made fun of again. And you're like, oh my God, I'm a 39 year old woman. Why do I even care? <laughs> like, what is yeah. that even the yeah. thing? So I love that you brought up the spiral. It is so, so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think maybe some people might be intimidated by coaching because they don't necessarily want to explore all of those things. And I like to put out there, and this isn't like hard and true facts, but this is my idea of what coaching is compared to therapy, is that those kinds of like stories and things that have happened to you in your past can come up if you want them to. And we can acknowledge like, oh, that makes sense. No wonder, you know, your brain has this pattern because blah, blah, blah happened. But at the same time, it's not a requirement to like go back in time and re-expose you to old, you know, traumas or anything like that. Because in my opinion, coaching is so forward facing. And so it's great to acknowledge those things if they're, if they expose themselves or if you feel comfortable or whatever. But we can totally just look forward and notice patterns, acknowledge patterns and start to shift patterns without necessarily knowing where they come from if you don't want to. Yeah, so I'm very just, true. That's, that's what it made me think of. Yeah, no, and that's smart. I mean, the difference between coaching and therapy really is where you're orienting yourself towards. Absolutely. And the end goal is always exactly the same, shift the beliefs to live that healthier and happier life. Okay, so we've looked at some beliefs. What are the things that people have avoided or just decided to not even attempt that like when you work with them, you start to say like, did you realize like you really just didn't even try for this thing that you like, even maybe it's their biggest goal in life and they Mm -hmm. like self-sabotage, right? Because they don't want to be faced with the struggles that perfectionism bring. Like what are some of those stories? 
I would say the number one thing that jumps up to me when you say that is love. I feel like love and dating is the ultimately the most scary thing a person seems to do because you expose yourself so deeply. And it's not like someone will outright say, I want to fall in love, I want to date, but I definitely don't actually want to because I'm really scared. What they'll do is say, I want to fall in love, I want to date, okay, we make a plan together. What are some things you could try that might expose you to more people in general? Okay, fine. I'm going to go to a pottery class. And then the next week it's like, I mean, I didn't go to the pottery class because I had this thing and then I wanted to do this other thing. And then I just, and then I just didn't have time. And you're like, uh-huh. Okay. Yep. Let's talk about that. Right. And so it's a lot of avoiding. And then you get into the thoughts of like, what was really scary about going to a pottery class? And it's not even necessarily talking to anybody at that one class. It's like the potential of being successful and finding someone and then dating them and then potentially getting hurt. And so it's like, they want to do the first couple steps, but then they're really afraid of like all the awful things that could potentially come with falling in love. Right. Right. And and the reality of falling in love is like, there's all sides of it, right? There is getting hurt. And then there's also the growth and the beauty of it. So it's, it's like going in and going like, I know what the full picture looks like and I don't want the full picture. It's like, okay, yeah. well, you could try for the Disney castle, but I don't think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So I, what I would love to hear from you is how people can start like regulating their nervous system when they notice the belief systems and the spiraling coming. Like what are the tools you tend to teach with that? Mm-hmm. I would say the very first and most simple thing that someone can do on their own is classic, but it's journaling and it's having this awareness around the beliefs that you have. So mm-hmm. I, I like to use the example of the belief in Santa. So your beliefs are just practiced thoughts all put together. So if you believe in Santa, you have thoughts like, as a kid or whatever, if you believe in Santa now, do you? I don't care. But <laughs> if you believe in Santa, then you're thinking Santa is coming. He comes on this day. He brings gifts. He brings gifts of I'm good. All of these thoughts and all put together, that's the belief in Santa. And then at some point in your life, somebody shatters that belief by telling you a bunch of other stuff. Neither story actually has like for sure evidence There's no real evidence that Santa exists or doesn't exist because it's both just things people tell you. Mm -hmm. And at some point, you just start believing some other sentences instead of the previous sentences. And so when it comes to shifting your belief, then you notice the beliefs that are coming up a lot for you. Like, okay, I believe that I'm not good enough. Why do I believe I'm not good enough? What sentences am I telling myself? Am I telling myself, you know, somebody's going to, look at my work and tell me I'm bad or someone's gonna, whatever it is, like what kinds of things am I telling myself over and over again to create this belief that I'm not good enough. And so as you expose those thoughts that are repeating themselves over and over again, especially page after page, you're like, oh, there it is again. I think my boss is going to yell at me, even though he's literally never yelled at me in my life. Okay, there it is again. I think somebody's going to yell at me. Where has somebody yelled at me before? Like just like seeing it on paper makes you start just to be able to question. Like no one's telling you you have to necessarily change anything like that, but having the awareness and the ability to question things in the moment can change everything for you. Oh, absolutely. I love that. Just and and 
the way you just did it was very guided. So it's not just like, let me just free write whatever in the moment. It's like, what is the belief system around this moment where I don't want to do something? I'm scared to do something. What is the ultimate fear there? And then where does that come from? I think that can help people because often when we say like journal it, they're like, what? <laughs> you know, like, what yeah, what am it? I saying? And what is the point? <laughs> exactly. But you're, you know, it is very focused. It is. What, what is this desire to be perfect or have it done perfect about? You know, is it a, about your looks? Is it about what you do? Is it about, I will only, you know, uh, apply for a job if I have half or over half of the, the qualifications or do you need 90% of the qualifications? Like all of these things we have to sort of um, start to take apart so we better understand. But uh, being able to stop and figure that out, I think is, is key. And knowing that your body is still going to be like, no, 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 this is bad. This is bad. And, and recognizing that there's a reason why it's doing that. It is to protect you, but it's protecting you from something from like a long time ago. And I love the analogy of it's like, it's like looking at a caterpillar in your brain. It's like, it's a snake. It's a snake. And you're like, it's a caterpillar and it's okay. You've seen snakes before, right? Like you've dealt with snakes. Yeah. And that's why the caterpillar is now scary, but it's just a caterpillar. And the journaling helps your brain start to figure that out. Oh, I'm not going to get yelled at by my boss because he's never yelled at me. And he's not the type that would yell. If he did, I would report him to HR. So you're like, hey, yeah, yeah. a logical plan here. Excellent. Yes, yes, yes. With your own perfectionism, what are some things that you have had to really face more regularly than, and you've done a lot of work on yourself, but what are the things that still come up? Because you said it perfectionism doesn't go away. It is kind yeah. of ingrained in who we are. And if, if we look at nature and nurture, you talked about often it's stuff in your childhood, but some people have a temperament that goes towards being more orderly, being more like a certain way, higher anxiety. So they want things to be perfect because it creates harmony and balance and calm in their system. So yes, it will not always go away for, for you and I and many others. But what are the things you still find coming up at times? For me, I like to call it like my brain's favorite thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> It's like a more loving way to say like that annoying stuff that your brain loves to repeat, even though yeah. you know, like, okay, I've exposed to this already. Like, okay, I'm familiar with this and it's not so jarring each time. But I have two. I do also have anxiety and I think anxiety and perfectionism, not that I know for sure because I'm not a doctor, but anxiety and perfectionism tend to often be connected in that They're way friends. and that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so for me, one of my brain's favorite thoughts is that people are going to leave me. And so I love to find new and exciting ways to, <laughs> to find reasons why people might leave me or why people have left me or whatever, whatever. But now I can be like, oh, that's that's one of my brain's favorite thoughts. And there's actually no reason to believe that that's true. And I have actually lots of reasons to believe that they won't. And that's another thing too, is that life is like a living contradiction and there will always be reasons for both. You will always be able to find reasons on both sides of anything. And so when people say like, shift your perspective and la 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 in like a really folky kind of sense, mm -hmm. it, it sounds, uh, but there is some truth to shifting your focus to something else that's true. Not just being like, oh, I'm great and everything's fine, but finding something like, okay, 
I think my partner's going to leave me for no actual reason, but because, I don't know, because I didn't pick up the dishwasher, I didn't clean out the dishwasher. So he's going to leave me like that, that jump my brain made. And so then it's like, okay, shifting the perspective. That's one of my brain's favorite thoughts. Exposure. Okay. What's on the other side? What are like 10 reasons I know he's not going to leave me? Because that's actually absurd. Right. And then you can kind of like go through that process and be like, ah, okay, yes, there, I'm good. I should be good. (laughs) And then worst case, I'm just going to talk to him, right? (laughs) Right. Like, hey, are you going to leave because I didn't have the district? No. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) I I think it's a combination of the the self-talk and like combining it with some breath work, right? To calm the anxiety because often we start holding our breath and we're like in shorter breath as the spiral happens. It's our mind and body is so super connected. So as you were talking about that spiral, the breath is shortening. You're getting a little like clammy and you're like, oh my God, what what do I do? And how do I, I know I wasn't even speaking clearly. I'm like, this isn't even a real situation at all. (laughs) So it's like, how do we, Focus back on that breath as you're doing what you said. Like, this is my mind's favorite thoughts. Okay. Here's what I do next. Here's the net. Okay. Here's how I disprove this. Here's a logical reason for this. Okay. And that combined with the breathing and you really like, I think that's one of the best tools you can give somebody. When we are at the height of our panic of perfectionism, I'm going to get found out. I'm going to do it wrong. Oh my God. I'm so nervous. That might not always work well because logical thought is very hard to do. So my recommendation would be do the breath work first and then do what Cadence just said and to like, okay, now that I've calmed myself down, let me do the thought process piece. Because your brain's not like, yeah, let me logically think. It's like a tantruming child. Don't sit down with them and be like, let's talk it out. I'm sorry. First you want to regulate their nervous system, calm them down, deep breath, rub their back. And then let's talk about what you're really upset about. <laughs> and that you have to treat your brain the same way. I find with perfectionism, often it's it's what you've alluded to. It's an inner child that has something it's here to prove or do, and it gets really worked up. And so you just have to like love on it. As you said, the hard shell, love on it. It's okay. Everything will be fine. And then you get to the root of like, okay, here's the logical thought. So I combine those two and the dishwasher won't bother you anymore. And, you know, you'll be good. Yeah. Um, it's so funny wh- you say that. My experience is in childcare before I started coaching. And so the experience of being with young children and ex- like experiencing their nervous system, experiencing how they they deal with emotions and how they deal with conflict and things like that is what kind of led me in this direction down this path of seeing how lots of ECEs don't know ECE, early childhood educator, um, don't know how to handle those things, especially at the beginning of their career. And this is kind of a new, within the past 10 years or so, a new realization that we need to be focusing on their self-regulation and on their conflict resolution and things like that, which means adults our age didn't get that teaching. Right. And so I have all this information from the kids to be like, all right, who has a... (laughs) <laughs> who has an anxious child inside who needs some yes. support and regulating your emotions. <laughs> like I see it when you get frustrated, that anxious child mm. comes out. Well, before we wrap up, let's talk about something that it's easy to laugh about, but in the moment it's challenging. The defensiveness that we as perfectionists put up that hard wall when someone tries to tell us to simplify 
to do less, maybe think of it differently. You know, when, when we are faced with possibly good advice, but it's from someone we don't want to hear it from, we get super defensive. So what are some strategies when we notice that in ourselves that we can start to like lower those walls? If, if that person doesn't know to take the time to massage, <laughs> like massage it and slowly, how can we do that for ourselves? That is a good question because I don't know if that is something that would work very well for somebody who tends to get a lot of advice from their family mm. or, you know, has friends who just love to stick their nose in your business or whatever. I think that having somebody like a coach or a therapist or whoever it is that you choose to have, somebody who's neutral to show you where your thoughts tend to lead you really is valuable in that situation because you'll get used to hearing things that aren't your own thoughts in a way that isn't like, oh, this person literally hates me or doesn't want to be my friend anymore or something like that. And then, you know, when you're able to talk to that person about your relationships or, you know, experiences that you have within relationships, then that person can show you, oh, do you see how maybe, you know, this thought influenced the conversation in some kind of way. And you can be like, okay, maybe fine a little bit. (laughs) Right. And then you can start to have that awareness. Like I've, with clients of mine, I've witnessed them fix relationships, even though that, that wasn't even necessarily what we were focusing on, fix relationships with their parents or with their boss, because they are more self loving And they are more accepting of the person that they are and the values that they hold. And so when they show up to a relationship who tends to have a lot of opinions about them, which tends to spark a lot of conflict, then the person doesn't feel like they need to defend themselves so hard because they have a stronger like sense of self. Yeah, that's a great point. So it's really working on our own self-confidence and awareness of ourselves through whether it be coaching, mm-hmm. therapy, finding a guide, someone who can be there with you that's more neutral, right? Like, because a friend or family member, you kind of sometimes think like, this is just about you. It's like, oh, this person just wants the, you know, the best for me. And then you can explore it a lot more safely. And I think often when we hear people give us advice, that means we need to change something about ourselves or like do something more or less. It feels like an attack on our identity. But when you work with a coach or a therapist, you realize it isn't about your identity. It, it's about simplifying life, right? And, and shifting, like you said, the belief systems so that you're not spiraling and having all that emotional energy kind of just wipe you out before you know 10 a.m. So I, I yeah. love the things you've shared and I love the tools. I hope people will go back and listen to this and especially like the journaling exercise and and the brain's favorite thoughts, right? Like this is really good stuff for people to start to use this vocabulary for themselves and in their relationships. Um, so make sure to share this episode if you know someone in your life who struggles with this too, because this needs to be more of an open conversation in the world. Many of us are perfectionists, many of us. And some of it shows up in the ways of we just won't even try something because we know it might fail. And some of us overdo and overcompensate so nobody thinks that they're failing. So it shows in different ways. Don't think that it's only the type A personality type who's a perfectionist. No, I've known many type Bs who actually deep inside, it was about perfectionism that kept them from doing stuff. 
Hayden, thank you so, so, so much for coming on here and giving us some great tools and advice and sharing some stories and your own experiences and what goes on in your mind and the holding space for you know what the listeners are, are chewing on right now as they deal with their own perfectionism. Thank you so much for having me. I hope it was helpful for everyone and I appreciate it. Yeah. If they would like to connect with you and find you, I'll make sure the link's in the show notes, but if they're listening, they're like, well, I want to find her right now. Where can they do that? Absolutely. So I hang out the most on Instagram. You can find me at Find Your Cadence Coaching. You can also email me directly, info at findyourcadence.ca, and we can chat. Perfect. Again, thank you so much. And make sure to check the show notes so you can connect with her, follow her on Instagram. And here's to finding your balance code. Thank you again for listening to today's episode. As one of my listeners, I have a special gift for you. Do you ever feel like you're simultaneously doing way too much while also not feeling like you're doing enough? I have a workbook that's going to help you solve that problem and get to the root of what actually needs to be done and what matters to you most based on your values. Check out my juggling all the things workbook below in the show notes so that you can use this special gift to simplify your life. We all need that. And if you're interested in working with me, check in the show notes below on information on how to do so. Here's to finding our balance code.